This podcast is brought to you by Learn Prime. Hone your development skills at learn.thoughtbot.com. You visually see your waveforms. <laughs> it's early, okay? I got up at 6.30 today. Did you guys know that there's a 6.30 in the morning? <laughs> Just in general? Yeah. I thought that was a one-time-a-day thing. <laughs> Hey everybody, this is Mark in San Francisco. And this is Gordon in Boston. And this is Build Face. Yeah, I haven't been to the gym. Uh, like I normally go to the gym at 7.30 in the morning. So I'm up at 5.30 and on the bus at 6.30 in the gym at 7. But like I just have, like <laughs> I did a bunch of traveling conferences, like WWDC and then spent another week in San Francisco and then like a family reunion thing in Louisiana and all this other stuff. And I just have not been able to wake up since then. Like it just, it absolutely killed my sleep schedule. I was in this really good rhythm of like three, four times a week, making it in the mornings, but garbage now sucks. Mm -hmm. I don't have an excuse like that. I wish I did. (laughs) No, it's just really, it's hard. It's so hard getting back into a schedule like that. You know what I mean? Like now I'm, I'm trying to get into the gym in like the afternoons, but that sucks. Like I hate going in the afternoons because like I got to duck out of work at some point, which means I have to like have a hard out because I have to make appointments at my gym. So I have to be like, oh, I have to leave at five o'clock and like four o'clock rolls around and I'm like, oh my God, I don't know if I can just like shut everything down and walk out at five, you know, the worst. It sucks not finishing things at the yeah. end of the day. Yeah, I don't want it like I don't want it sitting there. You know, I have such an obsessive personality about this kind of stuff. Like I will sit there for the rest of the day and like stay awake at night thinking about this crap that I didn't get done because I had to be gone at five o'clock. Like I just need to let things finish when they finish. You know? Annoying. Mm-hmm. Did you stay up for the whole derby last night? Yeah. You- Made it all the way to the end. Yeah. It ended before midnight my time. 11.30. It wasn't that bad. It was longer than I thought it was going to be. That's not a bad thing. Yeah. I thought we were going to breeze right through it. Seven outs this time around. Yeah, it's a good thing they didn't go with ten outs. Just because, like, I mean, there was, like, two dudes that were actually hitting home runs all night. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But they took up so much time, those guys. <laughs> yeah, restructuring so it was, you know, AL versus NL was probably... Not super great. <laughs> no, because you mean because NL got crushed. Yeah, it was just sad. <laughs> yeah, just really sad. Sad, sad as an NL fan, right? Yes. Yeah, because I thought it was great. <laughs> Whatever. Nobody likes the A's. <laughs> no, nobody likes the A's, but, <laughs> but that that Cespedes very talented. Yeah, very much muscle. <laughs> so barrel. <laughs> Oh, man. I've been up in New Hampshire in the White Mountains for four days. It's pretty great. What do you do up there? We hiked. We did some bike riding. It's really, that's about it. it we didn't do that much. Just hung out. It's cool, though. So do you, like, stay in a cabin out there? Or? Um, no, we stayed at, like, this inn that we got a deal on. Because we're the only people there, <laughs> you know, 
I don't think most people just go on like a random weekend in July after the fourth. You know what I mean? It's like this, just this kind of random weekend to go up there. But and we were up there for three nights: Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night. So by Monday morning, like we had breakfast there on Monday morning, and we were literally, I think, the only people. That, they had like twelve, fifteen rooms or something like that. And we were the only people there. It reminded me a lot of you ever see Faulty Towers? No. You never seen Faulty Towers? Dude, no. You got to get on that. It's so good. I grew what up on the show. It's like this British sitcom with John Cleese where he runs a motel called Faulty Towers. Or yeah, like a bed and breakfast thing. And it's just it's just hilarious. There were only like, I don't know, 10, 12 episodes or something like that. Like it's an incredibly short-running show. But it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my entire life. It's so good. And it's all on Netflix. So, you know. It looks like there are two seasons or series, right. as they call them over there. One in 75. Yeah. And then the second one was in 79. Right. They're just like four years later. You're like, you know what right. I miss? Right. Faulty Towers. Right. Let's bring this back for four episodes. Right. British people, man. That's not true. That's not true. I lied. There were six episodes. Yeah. Series no, it's, two. Oh, it's such a good show. You got you got to watch it. It's another one of those shows that I've just seen like every episode three or four times. I grew up with that show. John Cleese is phenomenal in it. But this place reminded me a lot of that. Like we walked in and it was just kind of like a like kind of a weird innkeeper and <laughs> you know, and it was like super empty. And Faulty Towers is always super empty. You know, what I mean, I always have like two people for dinner, and so it's like felt like that. You know, nice nice people, like you know, but. <laughs> Oh, man. So do you want to talk about this binding thing? Yeah, please. Do you want to give an overview of where we are with it right now and where we're trying to go with it? Yeah, so in a few places we have forms and model objects, and we don't want a bunch of code sitting around in the view controllers to bind you know, form fields to key paths on model objects. So you wrote this text field form binding thing. It gets initialized with a text field and a model object and a key path and an optional value transformer. And it adds itself as the target for when editing changes or when editing ends. And then it just updates the value on the model object optionally by transforming it. And now I need to bind it to a text view. Instead of a text field, yeah. Right. And it requires a little reworking because UI text view doesn't descend from UI control. So there's no target action. So we have to observe changes in a different way. But there's still going to be a lot of duplicated code. Mm-hmm. So trying to figure out what, what are the, you know, what parts of your text field binding are concrete? What parts are abstract? What can be extracted out mm-hmm. into something common to both of them? We talked about this basic structure a long time ago on a different episode because I basically used this in a different the same idea I used in it on a different project. I like this one better for some reason. I'm not sure if I just, it feels cleaner or probably honestly, when I did this the last time, there were just more things that I needed to do. You know, there were like all these different date fields and all this crap. So I had to deal with messing with the input view and a whole bunch of other things. Um, and so this feels cleaner probably because I'm not doing as much with it. We'll put all this up, by the way. Like, we'll put code samples from all this stuff up into the GitHub repo, um, the build phase GitHub repo, and we'll link to that from here. But um, So the thing I did last time was I used subclasses. 
And I'm not sure that that's still the best way to do it. Just because, I, like, I said this recently, but, like, the, I'm just, I'm shying away from subclasses in general. You know what I mean? Like, if I find myself subclassing something, I'm like, I'm usually like, oh, well, can I do this as a interface, as a protocol instead? You know? Yeah, that's what I'm trying to figure out here. I'd, I'd rather not create classes for every, right. you know, view element that I'd want to bind to. Right. So this thing expects a text field and then a model object and a key path. Mm -hmm. But that object key path sort of pattern could work on both sides, I think. Right. Like it, like init with view, you know, like value key path, model object key path. So if you're binding, you know, a first name string on a user model to a text field, that's easy. Like it maps right over. You know, you would bind this text field, it's a view, it's text key path. I guess that, wait, would that even work? No, because the method of being notified when these views change is different all over the place. You know, target action on text fields, you know, for text views, you'd have to use the notification. Right, subscribing to the actual notification. Right, being notified when the value changes. You want a text view, man. Like, what a pain in the ass this thing is. <laughs> you know, it, half this would be solved if it just conformed to UI control, and then we could just change the init method to take a UI control instead of a text, UI text field. Yeah, I, I guess it's because it has to come down from UI scroll view. Right. But still, still a pain in the ass. No, it is. Not to mention buggy on iOS 7. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> no, I'm not a fan. So what are the main though so the differences are we need to listen for the actual notification UI text view did end editing notification right something like that mm -hmm. but other than that and so then the whatever internal method that's used to update the value on the model object is going to be different What's going to be the same? What did you see that was that was going to end up being duplicated? Well, it's it's that method you just mentioned that actually does the updating on the on the model object. Mm -hmm. You know, that's very much just set value for key path, but with the transformer stuff. Yeah, I mean, it optionally runs it through a transformer. If I made this more abstract, I'd probably not use NS value transformers here and just like use a block mm. that give you the chance to define how it maps over. I mean, this class isn't much code. It's 70 lines with the comment. It's right. just like setting up the observation, you know, having references to everything provided in the initializer, which is the view, the model object, the key path, and the value transformer. Um, in this case, the text field, you add yourself as a target, give it an action, and then in that action, you just update the model object. So there's not a lot to duplicate, but it's stupid to duplicate it. Is it though, or is it trying to be too dry? Possibly. The theoretically, theoretically, we could just create another. So this one's called form field binding. We could rename this one to be text field form binding. And we could have another one that's a text view form binding. And they're two different objects. They both inherit from NS object. They both have roughly the same interface. But like you said, the most of we have to duplicate mm, tests would feel similar is the only thing I can think of. You know, the tests for the binding would feel very, very similar to the text field form binding. Like really the only concrete concept here is how you get notified of value changes. 
mm -hmm. in that particular mm -hmm. view. And in most cases, you know, target action will work for everything that can possibly be like form input, you know, um, you know, steppers, segmented controls, switches, text fields, they all have target action. They're all controls. Mm -hmm. Text view is really the only one that's an outlier. Mm -hmm. So maybe in this case, it does warrant its own, uh, concrete class. Yeah. I just think that like, if we move it out into a protocol, the only thing that we'd be able to move out to a protocol is the property definitions. And then UI text field would have to be an ID instead of a text field. So we'd lose type safety there. What would conform to this protocol? Both these bindings. So you could have like a text field form binding and a text view form binding that both conform to the form binding protocol that defines just things like, uh, let's see, it would be like an ID property of for uh, form element, an object property called model object, a string property called key path, and a value transformer property called transformer, and then a set default value method. That would be the common interface. But I don't think that that's necessarily worth pulling out. Do you? No, because now you're just duplicating the storage to like fulfill that protocol. Mm -hmm. At that point, why wouldn't you just subclass? Mm -hmm. Just have a base class that has this, you know, mm -hmm. view, model object, key path, transformer, and then let subclasses specify. You know, you would just override something like value changed. And in value changed, you determine how that new value gets put on the model object. But you'd also have to define a method for hooking up the, the you know, like doing whatever notification registration you need to do. Subclass initializers. Oh, yeah. So it would be something like init with form element, model object, key path, trans value transformer. Mm -hmm. and, you, and I think you'd only need two subclasses because it, at that point you just need one for each type of notification system. You have one that works with all UI controls. Mm-hmm. And then one that works with UI text view, mm -hmm. listens for the notification. How bad would that be? That doesn't seem like it would be that bad. No, I mean, you, it's just that you said you were shying away from subclassing. I think this is the perfect case, though, if you're going to subclass. Because then what you wouldn't have to do all the, like, the, the subclass init method would be very small. All it would do is basically do the whatever notification it needs to do. And then you'd override dialic to remove the observers. And then you would override set default value and that's it. Because I have a so so the other the other piece of this is that there's a set default value method that's public but not actually you, you don't end up using it that much publicly. It's used inside the init method, which I was kind of weird about, but it's used inside the init method so that when you say init with form element model object key path value transformer it then calls set default value so then it uses kvc in the other direction it does self dot model object value for key path self dot key path to pull the value out of the model and then sets itself as a de default value so that if there's something existing at that key path for that model then it automatically gets set as the value of the field it's like an editing the object case like you Right. Pass an, ex an existing user in, and you can fill out all the fields, right? And then let them change it and right. commit those changes back, right? But it works at like a 
I think a really nice abstracted level where like the binding doesn't care and the form actually doesn't really care if it's editing or creating a new one either because it just sets up these form bindings. It either passes in an empty object, right? Like I create a user object and hand this user object to these bindings or I have a user and I just hand that create that existing user to these bindings. Right. You're just putting them in sync. Yeah. From the get go. Exactly. I guess that wouldn't be bad. I guess this wouldn't be horrible to have subclassed. And this, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing about this that's specific to this project even. No. The only thing is that we're disabling text fields and that's only in this case. And I think that's going to have to get removed somehow because I, as I was talking, I realized, so in this specific case, if we get the thing that I wrote these for is during the registration process, we can get a user back from the system. And if a user was found in the system, like through this other weird mechanic, right? Our backend hits another backend and sees if that is. So if our backend ends up during the registration process, pulling a user from this external backend, then we can't edit those properties. So we can't edit stuff like the address because there's no way for us to propagate those changes back up. So, during registration, if we get a user object back from the system and they have like an address and a phone number and an email, basically, we don't want to let the user change those, right? We want to have those. That's just what it is now. So part of this set default value method disables text fields if there was a value provided to them. But that's going to have to change because once we get to editing a user that's <laughs> like yeah. you won't be able to <laughs> you won't be able to change anything, you know. So we're gonna have to be smarter about that in the future. Yeah, you almost want the view model in charge of that, saying that this view should be enabled mm-hmm. or not, mm-hmm. and not here in the binding. Yeah, it's just that I put it in the binding just because it was a fast thing to do, and the at that point the only thing that knows about the content of the field and whether or not there is content in the field is the binding, and so it made sense in that sense to put it there. But yeah, I think it's going to have to go in the view model, which kind of sucks because it just means more conditionals. I had another thought about implementation. Okay. If, you know, we made that generic class that took a, you know, a view object and a key path, mm-hmm. and a model object and a key path. Mm-hmm. What would you think about a category on UI control that adds a method that's, um, you know, bind to model object key path with transformer mm-hmm. and then, it passes itself in, and then it's relevant, you know, sort of value hmm, UI control. That'd probably have to be on individual view elements. Mm-hmm. Would that make using it any nicer? Uh, I don't know, because then it would have to hold on to the binding, right? Something has to hold on to the binding, because the binding has to stick around. So right now, in one case, the view controller is just holding on to two bindings, right? Like during sign up or yeah, during the first part of registration, all we need is a mobile phone number and an email address. So the view controller holds on to an instance of the binding that's literally just like email binding and sets it up as connecting it up to this, uh, creating this binding and hooking up to the text field and passing a key path and all that stuff. Mm. And then in another case, there's like a crap load of bindings. And so instead of having a property for each one, I just created an array. Uh, form bindings and it just adds 
these bindings to the array so that the array is holding. So it's holding on to them through the array. Right. So something has to hold on to that because there has to be something to get that callback information for them. Well, that, that method could return the binding that it just created back to you and then you know, you're responsible sure. for retaining it. Otherwise, we're in associated objects territory. Right, which... Yeah, that feels wrong. Yeah, I just don't know that it's... I don't know that it's that much better than just doing it directly, you know? Yeah, it would require so many categories. It'd require multiple categories, plus you'd have to... Oh, no, I guess, I mean, the, the, the control instance would know what kind of binding it needs to create, so you'd at least remove that level of abstraction. You'd at least be able to say... Oh, you know what I think I did last time? I think I did a class cluster. Explain. So I think I did a class cluster. I think I had a I think I had a concrete superclass, but then its init method took a type, enum type. Well, I don't remember, binding type or something. And so then I said I said just give me a form binding instead of having to manage all these subclasses directly. I had the subclasses, but then I just had like a factory method on the form bindings concrete superclass that said, you know, form binding with type model object key path, I think, something like that. You know what I mean? So it just added one more param to this factory thing and then the form binding itself would vend the proper subclass. Right. But the calling code doesn't care about what subclass it is. It only cares about the top-level interface. Exactly. Exactly. Because that's probably the nicest way to do it. And it means that like I don't have to care about different form-binding subclasses. You know what I mean? It lets, because you don't call these externally. You know? That's the whole point of these is you set them up and then they just do their thing. You know, that's the whole point of the binding system. And we're testing that, which is nice. Um, I think your first instincts there are correct. I think that's right. The only thing I would change is instead of one method that takes a type, which is going to necessitate a switch, I'd probably have like a class method for every like view type. Mm-hmm. Like I, I want a text field binding. Mm-hmm. I want a switch binding. Yeah. That probably makes the most sense. Yeah, we should put this code up on the build phase GitHub repo. And yeah. then we should try that. I'll, I'll see what comes out of it today. The good thing about this show right now is that we're both on the same project. <laughs> yeah. So we actually have like legitimate things to talk about. <laughs> like these yeah. are real world problems. Yeah. Solving as we go. So yeah, once I do that, then we can throw up a before and after. I'd even be interested in like pull requests from people to see like yeah. how would you how Fix would you it. do this? Yeah, that'd be cool. The only thing I'd say that you brought up you brought up a second ago, I just want to circle back to it, is using a block instead of a value transformer. The only objection I'd have to that is that by using a value transformer, specific value transformer, we can add tests around that transformation. If we use a block, then we can't test that specific, you know, we can say like, yeah, the value transformer executes the block if it's provided one. That's fine. But what I want, what I want is to be able to say like on the form binding side, if it's handed a value transformer, it uses it. And then on the view model model side, say that it hands this this specific transformer into a view model. You know, it lets us just test that. Ooh, I'm like punching my mic. Um, it lets us test that whole interaction a lot better. And the transformer itself. Right, and the transformer itself, which I think I actually. One, um, there was something stupid that was just Boolean logic. But it was like a couple levels of Boolean logic. It was like, uh, was it the 
has content thing that I put on NS string. I don't remember. There was something recently that I was like, initially in my head, I was like, I don't know if this needs tests. And then I just totally screwed up. It was just simple Boolean logic, but there was something about it that I think what happened is I ended up refactoring it because the naming was confusing me. You know what I mean? Like it was this flipped naming. So I think it was, it was that I was checking to see if the, is this string actually an empty string? Is essentially what it was, or is it a string that only consists of white space? Mm. We're getting empty strings back from something, or some I don't I don't remember the exact reason that we did it. But there's this Boolean logic, and there were two levels of it. So there's Boolean logic inside this string category, but then there's also Boolean logic inside the view model where I was using that string category, and there was something about it that was confusing me. And so like I was initially like, oh, this you know this is stupid Boolean logic. I don't need tests around this but then i put them in anyway just because that's what i've been forcing myself to do here just to try really 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 try to hammer this in and it totally saved me because i i just completely had it backwards in one spot it was just a boneheaded like you know because i was using it was because i was using um compare for some reason I was using NS string compare and then like, you know, using the ascending, descending and which one of those means yes. the right thing. And so I don't I, blame you. Yeah. It was just kind of like, and then eventually I ended up reading the test and being like, oh, wait a minute. No, that's totally bad. Like, you know, this, all this Boolean logic was trickling down from this fact that I just had this base thing wrong, you know, but the test saved me in that, like, I didn't end up with that bonehead, like, oh, I just reversed a Boolean somewhere down the chain. And so this, I want that same thing for simple value transformers. Like this value transformer that we created here, really all it does is it transforms strings into NS numbers by boxing the integer value of an NS string. You know, that that's it. That's all it does. But I 100% want tests around that because I'm an idiot and I will screw that up at some point. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't blame you for screwing up compare. Yeah. I always have to think way too hard. <laughs> right. When using compare, especially right. with like dates. Right. Oh. <laughs> the ones that get me with dates are like the date since this date. And I'm like, wait a minute, which direction does that go again? Because it all, like, there's always that second where I go, like, is it dates since like backwards? Like, when do I use the negative time interval? When do I use a positive time interval? Like, mm -hmm. date since now? I yeah. Know. It's just worded. It's just worded weird. You know what I mean? Like, in a way that makes me think too hard. I also always have a hell of a time remembering the actual method signatures on NS date. Like which ones are instance methods, which ones are right. class methods. Is it date with time interval since now? Is it time interval since now right. from date? Like Right. Right. But that's what dash is for. That's all I you know, I just pull up dash right constantly. I, I'm too stubborn for that usually. <laughs> like I think I know it and I'm just and I, so I just keep trying like first letters and be like, no, that's not right. Back yeah. it up. <laughs> I'm still using that. See, I have to use Dash because I'm still using that Fuzzy Finder, Xcode Fuzzy Finder plugin. And basically what it does is it just kind of ruins. <laughs> it, it helps a lot of times, but it also ru it completely ruins Fuzzy Finder a lot of times. Like when I'm typing in a method, oh, man, it kills me when just as part of my normal workflow, one thing that I do all the time is type methods that don't exist yet. Right. I call methods that don't exist yet constantly because I'm testing first. Right. So I'm writing the method in the test and the method doesn't exist. 
and it's insistent on trying to help me with that. So it, it doesn't show me what I'm typing. It just shows me what it wants to autocomplete to. And then like subtly highlights specific letters inside that autocompletion from gray to white. So I have to be like, it takes me until I finish the method until I know whether or not I spelled the method the way I wanted to or not. It sucks. I should see if there's an update for that actually. Probably is. You know, there's so many common terms we use. It'd be great if it would just kind of like, if it doesn't exist, yeah, just like, stop. Help, help me finish it. Yeah. Am I typing in V-A-L? Then I want value. <laughs> right. Like, well, let me what, tap complete but that. But that's what, that's what Xcode tries to do, and that's why we had, uh, what was the, instead of NS string, it would try to do. Uh, NS stream. Stream, yeah. <laughs> like, thanks. But I think, thanks, I think that now it, tracks, now it tracks usage. Right. Right, it does. To prioritize that list. The, my problem with that fuzzy finder was that it never worked exactly like Xcode 5's open quickly. Yeah. So, so the way that I use Xcode, you know, open quickly is I, like, let's say we have, you know, our prefix and it's create post view controller. Mm-hmm. I'll type in the prefix and the first, or basically each capital letter in the yeah. class name. Yeah. So it'd be like prefix CPVC and that, that'll match like mm-hmm. create post view controller. The fuzzy finder wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. And I was way too dependent on that. I don't know if they fixed that, but um, I couldn't get on board. Yeah. It really helps for like UI table view, delegate, and data source methods where like Xcode just straight up won't autocomplete most of those because once you get to the colon, you know, all of those start with table view. Every single one starts with table view, colon. But once you hit that colon, Xcode's like, cool, you're done, right? Like... (laughs) That's as far as you needed to go. It's like, no, yeah. that's not the important part of this method signature. The important part of the method signature is everything after that. So instead, I can just do uh, dash space did select, and it'll pop up. You know, the right thing will pop up. And that's, I, you know, hitting that enough is is worth it to me as opposed to going like a table view and then like arrow, 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 and then possibly hitting that like choosing did deselect instead of did select which happens you know what i mean just like uh. that's my most upvoted question on stack overflow by the yeah. way from, from the year 2009 <laughs> yeah. that's such a stupid whatever um <laughs> there more to talk about here we settle on probably doing you're gonna try to do a subclass of this we'll see how yeah. it works out we'll post it online yeah i like the class cluster idea i've had a lot of coffee i kind of just want to get to it yeah Maybe go for a quick run first. Yeah, sure. Just around the office. Sure. <laughs> Laps around your beanbag chairs. They're so comfortable. <laughs> Show notes for this episode are going to be found at podcasts.thoughtbot.com slash build phase slash 46. As always, we'd like to hear from you. So email us at buildphase at thoughtbot.com or reach out on Twitter at buildphase. And as always, we really, really appreciate ratings and reviews on iTunes. Like, like we really do. Yeah. Actually... We would really like to be able to beat our other podcast in ratings. So Giant Robots Smashing Into Other Giant Robots, which is kind of like a Ruby-ish interview show. They have 56 ratings right now on iTunes, and they have one four-star. Right now, we have 26 of all five-star. If we can get 57, or even if we can get 56 of all five-star, it'll give us so many bragging rights and I will never let Ben Ornstein live it down. So that would be really awesome. Just for my self-esteem, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. Okay. 
right, I'll I'm, talk to you I'm, later. I'm making bogus iTunes accounts, right? Are you? Yeah. We can get Tony to submit some more reviews. <laughs> All right. I'll talk to you later. All right, later.